0: Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is Chris Formant. Chris is a student of history, a tech CEO, and a former top executive of a multi-billion dollar global business. His debut novel, entitled Bright Midnight, received lavish praise and has been dubbed the Da Vinci Code for rock and roll fans. In that thriller, Formant created a unique mystery in which he reimagined the deaths of rock icons as murderers. Although Chris proclaims himself an unlikely author of historical fiction, the heroic story of Maryland's Forgotten 400 drove him to assemble an expert team to assist with the painstaking research required to write his highly anticipated second book entitled Saving Washington. Chris, welcome to Raiders on the Beat. Thanks for making time to join me. Yeah, thanks, Gavin. So I just recently started reading Saving Washington, and this thing immediately pulls you in. Especially, I, I'm such a history nerd that uh, I really don't want to put this book down and go to bed at night. Uh, what inspired you to to start writing this?
1: Well, it was it was really by accident um, that that it occurred, and I was um, I was uh, just finishing up. a uh, a prior Brook book, book a, um, a thriller, and it was headed toward uh, the initial editing, and um, and I started work on a cyber thriller. You know, the tech, I thought I'd write about something I know about, so it was about technology and different types of internal, you know, enterprise systems, and um, and I was reading the paper one day, and I came across a one or two paragraph uh, brief announcement announcing a wreath laying ceremony in Prospect Park, Brooklyn. And it was um, in commemoration of an event that occurred on August 27, 1776. And, and that that date's important. This is only six weeks after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. August 27, 1776, um, and it was honoring the bravery and heroism of a regiment from Maryland. And the thing, that, the thing that caught my attention was the caption that said, the Maryland 400 who saved America. And I'd never heard of these guys. You know, so I did what, um, what, what you or, or any of your listeners would do. Uh, I immediately Googled it. And, um, and this unbelievable story started flowing out. Um, you know, a lot of the, it was, there was a paltry amount of facts. A lot of them contradicted one another, but the essence of the story um, came out. And, um, and as I got, you know, and I just started going through it, you know, looking at, you know, uh, obscure monuments, um, you know, trying to piece this stuff together. You know, I, I didn't intend on, I've never written a history or historical fiction and don't consider myself, you know, a writer in that genre, but it pulled me in and pulled me in. And, and I finally said, you know, I've, I've got to write something about this and I've got to bring it to life in in the style that, that I know how to write in.
0: Yeah. And my favorite historical period is the Revolutionary War. And I'd never heard of these guys at all, much like what you talked about. And it's really amazing to me how many of these stories probably have been lost to time um, when are, are, you know, relegated to these, like you said, obscure relics or obscure uh, monuments that almost no one knows about, except maybe, you know, some of their descendants. And I think, to me, it seems like historical fiction like this really does have an important role in society beyond just entertainment to, to actually educate and inform folks about things like this that are, uh, that are potentially lost.
1: You know, I was always taught and, you know, I heard it first from my my history professor in college that announced before he even handed out the syllabus that all history is fiction. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that, because, um, you know, unless you're, you know, a history purist and you're abiding by every word that's been literally written about it. I mean, common sense would dictate that that, you know, um, that whoever scribed it or wrote about it uh, is usually writing about it from the standpoint of the victors, the winner. Winners always write the history, so you're gonna have it slanted in that way. And, um, and I think in this particular case with the Battle of Brooklyn, um, we were so, uh, Washington the Continental Army were so outmatched, out, outmaneuvered, embarrassed. Um, it, um, we were lucky to get out. Um, it it could have, the odds were overwhelming that the revolution could have been over that day. And that was the British intent that, you know, I think we wanted to forget about it. And, uh, and I think they wanted to bury it. I mean, this battle was the largest in the revolutionary war and perhaps the bloodiest, but you know, no one ever writes about it. Uh, now they are, but no one ever wrote it. And in fact, I was, um, given a manuscript of a uh, of an account of the battle um, you know basically a history book but an account of the Battle of Long Island Battle of Brooklyn by the Army War College and and it was written maybe 90 to a hundred years after the event uh, maybe 80 years I can't remember exactly but it was but one of the lines kind of haunted me in it that the author and I use this you know in um, in one of the uh, quotes right at the beginning of my book um, you know, uh, Thomas Field, he, he uh, sort of pronounced this. And I think it was believed at the time that this was called the most precious hour in American history, because if not for, if not for this suicide mission, Washington would have been captured, the Continental Army likely destroyed, Washington and his lieutenants would have been hung and, um, uh, and it would have been over. And so it's just like a lot of important um, moments in history uh, even though um this regimen was um you know substantially wiped out, um you know, they uh, you know in a larger sense, you know, they prevailed to catalyze the the colonies and to allow you know Washington and the leadership and the bulk of the Continental Army to escape and um, you know, you know the ending. So <laughs>
0: Now, what uh, what first got you interested in in history and reading history, and then ultimately in in writing this historical fiction?
1: Um, well, as I mentioned before, you know, I you know I'm not a history writer. You know, I I like to write mysteries and thrillers, and um, but um, this story caught my eye. You know, in this kind of serendipitous way, but um, but in a way. It um, you know, I wanted to bring it to life almost like a like I was writing a thriller. and since there wasn't that much um, there wasn't that much written about it at the time. there's this goes back four or five years. There wasn't that much written mm-hmm. about it. Um, I thought I should write it in a style that I know and I wrote it as a historic fiction. so uh, first, because there was a paltry amount of factual information. I thought I need to do that, but I wanted to bring it to life sort of in the style of Killer Angels. And in fact, the Sons of the American wow. Revolution, when they did their review of it and they called the book Epic, they compared it to, to Killer Angels. But for this era wow. and, um, uh, you know, so I, I i brought some of the I brought some of the uh, methods and techniques of uh, thriller writing, you know, and mystery writing mm-hmm. to bear on on this story and wrote it as a fiction you know i I also i also if i could go on for a second i I also Mm -hmm. found when i started writing it you know i noticed because i hadn't written in this genre before i noticed that most of the books were written from the standpoint of adults if they had any if they were military oriented or or um you know revolutionary war oriented um, they were probably written from the standpoint of some of the military leaders or senior people mm-hmm. or politicians, but I hadn't seen anything that was written from the viewpoint and perspective of the actual combatants. And remember that teenagers fight all wars; they're young people that fight it. So I wanted yes. I wanted to to tell it through the eyes of two young people, and that changed the whole perspective and the whole arc of the story. Um, when 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 I decided to, to um, to do that.
0: That was one of the things that I really appreciated about this book very quickly in reading it is that it offered that very different. And I think often overlooked perspective, right? That as you mentioned, you know, teens are the ones fighting all, all of our wars. Um, and it's almost like oftentimes they're this, uh, this forgotten entity in all of our stories that, um, it's like, they're not, they don't quite count yet. And, you know, they're the ones making the biggest sacrifices. And I'm really glad that you did that.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Now, in terms of your, your craft and your writing process, as, as we mentioned in the intro, you were not a just a full-time writer who has endless time to devote to books. What is your, your process like in balancing everything else in your life with your writing and, and making time to, to get your word count in?
1: Well, you know, I've learned to compartmentalize pretty well. I guess that's an understatement, but, um, but um yeah I learned early on, and when I first decided to get into this get into writing um I spent some time and because of my um executive stature, it allowed me some entree you know to meet with some very successful you know higher profile writers and I met with about a dozen mm-hmm. over over about a year period and I approached this the same way I would with anything you know and i I interviewed them. Um, you know, sort of compared notes, you know, wanted to see, you know, how they, you know, the, the process that they use, uh, because I had always thought, oh, you know, writers inspired, and they sit down and you know, they go on for days without eating and sleeping and, you know, outcome, mm-hmm. you know, the book yes. or the story or whatever it is, or the film. Um, that wasn't the case at all. You know, every one of them, you know, said, this is a job, you get up, to have breakfast, exercise, you start work, you know, you put in the time, you know, whether you don't feel well or not, you just put in the time, get it out, you know, this idea of someone that, that is doing it in this kind of, uh, inspired way is, um, the, the idea is inspiring, but the work is, um, Mm -hmm. is, um, methodical. And, um, in fact, you know, I asked one very well-known author, you know, what, um, uh, you know, when do you know you're even finished? And he said, Chris, Chris <laughs> yeah. it's when, you because know, you could go on forever. He goes, it's when you can't see your mistakes anymore, you know, because you know, they're always, and, wow. you know, I learned yeah. that, that getting a good editor and agent is vital. Uh, good editors can help you, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether they're an in- independent or whether they're through the publisher, you know, they can help you, um, uh, build the story, accent things, um, you know, keep people's attention. And so they've been, they've been very helpful. But, you know, one of the things that I do, once I get the idea, I try to, because I'm kind of a visual person, um, I try to, to craft a simple little storyboard. You know, I almost always try to, if I can, picture the personalities of who the characters are. And some of them shift back, as I did in this book, shift back from being good guys to bad guys to good guys to bad guys, you know, as you as you sure. as you start to write the story. But I start to you know infuse it with maybe the personalities of people I might know or celebrities or you know something like that, and then go through um, as best I can. I try to go through, um, uh, you know, I was trained in in uh, design thinking, which is, you know, if you're building a product, you know, you come up with an mm-hmm. idea and you, you know, you manifest that in some, whether it's physical or virtual way, and then you go back and then try to d- try to build it. And so I always try to think here, I knew what the ending was because it was a point hit. So I couldn't, yes. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make that up. I, but, but there wasn't a whole lot about it. So, you know, I kind of, you know, in that storyboard, I would start to put a couple elements that I'd want, and then I'd, I'd write uh, maybe a few pages for each of the areas and paragraphs. So I got the sense of it, and then I started going through it. And then, and in fact, in a couple, in this book in particular, you know, I had the storyline and the essence of it, sort of the backbone fairly quickly. But then I wanted a backstory on the British military, you know, if you read the book, you'll see there's a whole storyline around there. There's a whole spy network, you know, going up and down the, the East Coast that I um, that I wrote about and all of them kind of ebb and flow and kind of come together at the end. Um, but um, some of those I had to go back and then piece in, you know, it's almost like, you know, I think I think it's the you know, it's the uh, writing equivalent of you. Um, of uh you know orchestrating a symphony or writing a song mm-hmm. you know so it's it's that kind of it's that kind of process and that's what i learned from from um from you know some of the you know some of these uh, well-known writers and uh, it, it, and also you know learn that you know it's not glamorous it's really hard and methodical work yes <laughs> yeah
0: and i before i was published, I really didn't appreciate either that, you know, you're really putting this, this piece of your soul, I, I, you know, it's not quite a child, but you're putting this piece of your soul out to the world for, for criticism and, and, uh, and review. And it's, it's a really personal thing.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know, I, 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 guess, and maybe the business person in me was able to somewhat separate, um, you know, to get a good product, if you will, you know, out, um, you know, mm-hmm. you you have to listen to experts. You know, I'm I, I, mature enough to know that I couldn't defend everything in the in the uh, other than the core story. If there were people who are more expert, they could say you want to say it like this or you should emphasize this or drop this out or cut it out. You know, I, I tried to listen to the experts to mold it into the the right kind of dramatic story. Um, but, you know, the, the the first time, you know, someone, you know, the, the, the same minute that we'll get someone that'll give this a five star or a big thumbs up rating, you know, yes. someone else will not like it for, you know, silly reasons. Yes. Oh, I don't like this yeah. to, you know, well, you know, you know, get a life, you know, so I yeah. think you have yeah. to, you know, I think at some point, because um, I think the difference between and I'm sure you appreciate that the difference between writing a a fictional work and anything that's kind of objective a history or how to book or memoir or anything like that you know cookbook or anything like that is that you know you you have to the writer has to i'm sure you've done it i have to do it you have to go into character and you have to become the characters at that time and see and feel everything around you so it's it's the writing equivalent to method acting Mm-hmm. And I think that yes. and I think that, you know, sometimes it gets very personal and, you know, you can't help but put some part of yourself or the type of person that you're trying to emulate in there, you know, into it. And so when someone criticizes it, you go, hey, you know, yes, <laughs> you're
0: know, yeah, picking on my kid,
1: you know, sure yeah. about it because they're, you know, I mean, you know, you're putting it out there for all of humanity to take a look at and you know you've got you know nice people and you've got people who are just you know they can't help but be assholes yeah <laughs> so you
0: know, a lot of the uh, writing coaches writing mentors will will encourage aspiring authors to write in series and create a, a, a characters that they can write a, at least a trilogy on and Mm -hmm. you've so far released standalones. And I wonder if that's been a a deliberate decision on, on your part, or if it's just that you Mm -hmm. haven't had a series story that you've wanted to put out yet.
1: Well, and the one I'm working on right now is, um, is a Stephen King. Like I studied his, his uh, writing style uh, and the books that he's written about writing. And um, it's a horror, you know, so, you know, you figure it out, Mm. you know, either, either, you, you know, I'm, you know i'm the most add writer out there or you know but the reality is is that I, I really like to tell stories and i've got a bunch of these things that i've kind of outlined or or you know have um you know have some sort of uh synthesized version of that i'd like to tell um you know if um if there was demand for a sequel my first book uh the rock and roll murder mystery i started to write a sequel on it and then and actually embedded an anagram in the first book um you know with the because of the possibility that i might write a sequel and that anagram would be key to it would Mm -hmm. mean that people that bought the second book would really have to read the first book so they could get the anagram in context and use that as a clue towards solving the mystery in the second book Um, Mm -hmm. i've already been asked about this one Did I, do I want to continue, you know, because some of the heroes of this, you know, I don't want to give the punchline, but, you know, let's follow them to the next battle or, you know, and, and I've been asked by the publisher and my agent, do I want to do a series that's not, not about this, but, you know, the next one could be saving so-and-so, you know, and there's a, uh, there's a writer out there um, and I forget who he is. I think he was on Fox News. That had that has a series of books, killing Patton, killing Lincoln, things like that. And you yes. know, you know yeah. I don't really like to write about negative things because I thought it'd be saving this, saving that, saving mm-hmm. that. That that's a possibility. Yeah. But you know, bottom line is that I really like to tell stories, and and I want to get the yeah. stories out. And I I'd like to be known as a good storyteller. And if there was huge demand for um, you know a sequel or a follow up, then Then I might do it, but um, you know I've got some great stories I want to get out there, and um, and so that's what I'm doing.
0: Now you brought it up earlier, uh, but uh, you know you get a lot of conventional advice about you know especially when you first start out that you should write what you know, and you know for me I definitely did that and and started with a, a crime series, and I'm now starting to expand into other things. Put a conspiracy series out last year, and I'm actually working on a a near future dystopian. Um but for you you're done the exact opposite and as you mentioned earlier, um, what do you think has has delayed this this cyber series and, and especially with all of your expertise in that, it seems like that would have been the low hanging fruit for you to hit it out of the park.
1: Well, and the first one was too. I mean the first one's a rock and roll murder mystery, Bright Midnight that Reimagines the deaths of late '60s and '70s iconic rock stars, I'm not as uh, drug-related deaths or accidents, mm-hmm. but as a string of murders. And I'm I'm actually on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow! And and I'm a collector of rock and roll memorabilia, so I'm exposed mm-hmm. to all this stuff. And you know, just to, you know, and I've had you know, had a story sort of rolling around in my head for a while, and um, you know, I wanted to write something that was Da Vinci Code-like with all these messages. And I tried a number of different things. I tried to come up with something that would be the on the back of and, and on the cover and back cover of classic rock albums that would, you know, you know, that was sort of the equivalent that, you know, that, you know, envisioned, you know, people around the world pulling out all these old albums and getting to try to solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. And I just I worked on that for for a month or so and just couldn't get it to work and then decided to to write it as more of a classic um, as more of a classic um, csi type murder history so so that i actually knew something about and i had a good historical background you know in the um in the stars and the genre um, and, and so on um, uh, this one just was something that you know i just felt that once it, i was exposed to it I needed to tell this story. And so, um, yeah. and so, you know, I did my own, res- you know, I, I started my own research and then got the help with some of the military organizations and some experts to try to help me make, make this uh, a reality. And so that's it. Um, the Stephen King thing, um, and horror, I just, uh, you know, it's, it, they actually are all based on things that have some relevance you know, my, um, my kids live and I'm up in New York right now live around Prospect Park where the event took place. Um, um, So I have at least some distant attachment. I'm from Maryland, you know, the original, the original title of saving Washington, was was the sons of Baltimore. And so a lot, you know, about a a portion of the story takes place in Baltimore and the areas surrounding me. And, um, and my horror uh, I don't want to say too much about it, um, but the horror is actually about a place and location um, and, um, and a uh, factual uh, set of historic, historic um, facts around an area in Canada, on an island in Canada, that, um, that I was exposed to because it's where I go fishing every other year. So, so you know, you try to bring it back in a way I know it. Yeah, in a way I know it, and I'm and I'm yes. bringing to life yeah. something where where I I have I can have some physical remembrance of of um, of, of some part of the story. Yeah, so
0: really, all along you've been writing what else you know, <laughs> not just what the one thing. Yeah. Say for authors who are trying to write or want to write their own historical fictions, do you have specific advice for them based on your experience and the, and the success of this book?
1: Well, um, you know, and I've gotten exposed to a lot of history writers and historic and historical fiction writers. And I think everybody's inspired by, by, by something. And some, Mm. you know, and some may have been, you know, in academia or, or they just got bitten by something. Some of them, you know, may live in an area or either stumbled upon or researched the fact that just sort of, you know, you know, uh, you know, grew virally in them. Um, you know, so, so who knows what it is? Um, the, the only thing I can say, and this is not, you know, I don't know, it's not a positive or a negative thing, but I get exposed to so many. And, you know, in, in going to these events or participating in things. And some of them are very obscure. So they become labors of love, you know, for some of the people. Yes. And um, uh, but but one of the things that I think there's so much, you brought it out right up front, that there's so many of these things that are actually very important events or people or situations that have been lost in history that are really pivotal. Think of this one. I mean, when mm-hmm. I stumbled upon, I asked everybody I knew and the only people who knew anything about it, um, uh, were, were those that were, that were deep historians of this period. There's just a couple mm-hmm. and some people that lived around Prospect Park, Brooklyn, because they had seen this monument buried in the woods and, and, um, you know, and they had these ceremonies, uh, you know, occasionally, but it just wasn't something that was well known. And, and there are other things out there through history that, um, that, um, you know, historians can bring to life. And I think that, um, um, you know, some of the historical fictions I've read were really more histories. So they didn't bring it to life in a, in, in, in the way that would make it, um, broaden the readership, you know, of, and so, you know. I'd recommend with everything just what you had pointed out before that there you know if there if there are things stories that need to be told to a wide audience you know not just to, you know those would be the ones that uh, and if I do another historical fiction it'll be about something that was really pivotal in whatever the situation, whether it's political or or, or in the infancy of a country or you know whatever it might be, but to bring that to life, um you know and tell it in a way that actually will draw in not just adults but draw in um you know younger people too because you know i think you're absolutely right in the point that you brought out right at the beginning that i think that um uh you know younger people it needs to be written in a style that isn't boring and it makes young, yes. gets younger people excited because i think the reason that saving washington has gotten a lot of younger people excited is these are these are you know some of those famous you know yet forgotten citizen soldiers in the history of the united states and they were kids no. mm-hmm. these were our own 300 spartans our 400 spartan and these are american heroes that should be celebrated and i think kids you know today are looking for you yes. know american heroes and here I come
0: now one of the last couple of questions i always ask authors who come on the show is i, I know in my experience, writers are also some of the most uh, avid readers. I I wonder if you have a favorite uh, detective, investigator, or crime series that you follow in books, TV, or film.
1: Um. Well, um, uh, you know, yes and no. Um, what I what I really what I really like is um, I used to. Um, uh, you know, I was a real fan of a guy named Stephen Pressfield who wrote about the, um, mm-hmm. you know, ancient Greeks yeah. and Romans. And he actually, you know, if you know that and he, and, and I'm, and I'm virtually a hundred percent Spartan <laughs> wow. Greek, uh, you yeah. Know, 23. Yeah. So, um, uh, 97%. And, um, you know, so that's always appealed to me because it's been consistent with, with my, I'm from an immigrant family. And, um, uh you know so that's always appealed to me i've I've always loved uh histories i've loved uh revisionist history um but you know when i started to um when I got exposed to things like the da vinci code um uh that that sort of you know i thought god you know th- these mysteries and thrillers this would be you know this would be um you know, unbelievable to watch or to, to read. And it's hooked me on the kind of shows like yes. Man in the High Castle and you know things like that out there that are just um, you know I'm not sure whether you call them dramas, whether you'd call them thrillers or mysteries. Um, you know it's hard to single out the the drama, but I, I like to, you know, you know, the, the next story will be um, will be a little bit like the first where I, I love to write a th- write thrillers or mysteries where, um, you know, the, the, and I learned this from Stephen King, where, you know, I'm laying out, I'm not really laying out a story, I'm laying out a number of scenarios and scenes and things and the writer's creating their own story. Um, um, and, that, uh, and, and then at the very end, you know, I'll, I'll then, you know, put an exclamation point in some way. And the one I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm, uh, my intention is to have the ending be like a sixth sense. If you remember the the film where, where, you know, the writer and the reader, you know, and the lead character in it all think that this is what's happened. And in the last couple pages or in the Mm -hmm. final scene, you see, you then see what the real story was. And so that's what my intention is.
0: In light of the the last answer, Chris, uh, God forbid it should come to pass. But I, I ask all the authors to come on the show this. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered, what fictional investigator, assassin, or revenge artist, even King Leonidas, would you want in charge of your investigation?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I'd have to go for Agatha Christie. You know, I have to, I mean, as soon as you said that, I'd have to go... You know, I, I'd have to, uh, you know, maybe some combination of Agatha Christie and and Sherlock Holmes. Oh, and I can't and I can't remember the author's name now. The guy that wrote Mindhunter, um, you probably. Know. No, John Douglas. Yeah, John, du- John Douglas. Yeah. You know, so I want a combination of kind of old school investigative reporting that have this intuition and wisdom that they've. Developed and then and then someone who I mean John was was uh, you know fundamental you know to building um, mm-hmm. you know to building the FBI's capability um, and investigative capability and in my first book you know a lot of it takes place down in Quantico as the FBI gets and uses advanced technology so I'd want I want old school kind of intuition and mm-hmm. thinking and I'd want leading edge technology to try to help solve it.
0: Well, that's the most unique task force we've had assembled on the show so far. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I greatly appreciate your time and coming on and sharing your experience and your expertise with us, Chris. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Okay, great, Gavin. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been novelist, historian, and Corporate Executive Chris Formant. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.